Eat a little slower. He leaned over to brush some crumbs from her chin, and roughly a quarter of the pastry which had been squashed down in her effort to fit it all in at once. By the time it reaches the plate, the food isn't even trying to run away. You sound like Dad, Amber complained, fidgeting in his grip as she slurped at some overly caffeinated beverage. You're not as cool as him though, so stop trying. You don't need to actually say that. He poked her nose, earning a quick giggle. In a household of women, how is he supposed to measure up to someone like that, anyway? There was a reason he wanted to be a hero. Back when this all started, before he knew what really made a hero. That same wonderment had passed, however, especially after the repeated tries he made for the man to train him. The early reasons were that he wasn't strong enough. After having so little conditioning, he wouldn't be able to handle what training Nicholas could offer. That had been a bitter pill to swallow, but it made sense. But when Jean had managed to go back a full year and bring his fitness up to par, the excuses had changed to something else. That he was too busy. That there wasn't enough time or that Jean wasn't ready. It didn't take a genius to figure out that his father would never train him, no matter what reasoning he gave. Not that it matters. I'm more than good enough to handle my own training now. It was still enough to make him bitter, but no longer did it weigh on him. I'm down. Amber crowd, setting her plastic plate down even as Jean looked at the half-finished food of his own. He's seen Ruby eat with more patience, even with a plate of cookies before her. You done yet? You can see I'm not, he thought to himself. Still, he nodded and pushed himself up, unable to hide his smile at her antics. This day was for her after all. He could eat at any time, but these would be the last memories of him she had. He was going to make them special, even if he had to find special, kill it, and drag it back by its metaphorical ears. Stuffing a final bite into his mouth, he left the remainder behind. One of the waitresses glanced at them as they passed, though, much more like the person in the arcade itself, there was no energy to be had. Honestly, the food was crap too. Reheated garbage. Three days ago he'd killed for it, but after tasting homemade cooking it was a poor substitute. Gay! That sound made him pause, for another reason than the sheer randomness of it. A single word shouted out across the street in broad daylight. Not even an insult, but a mere explanation of orientation. Emma bumped into his side as they both looked at a ring of young teens surrounding two figures. What on remnant? We shouldn't get involved. Amber hesitated, gripping his hand before he could step forward. He spared a glance for her. Then the situation ahead. There were about six or seven of them in total, of various heights and builds. It actually took him a few seconds to realize why she was so frightened of them. Because she is not a huntress. Because to someone like Amber, people like this were scary and could very much hurt her. Whereas to him and the life he'd live, there were nothing more than civilians. People to be protected. Even if they were harassing others, he simply wasn't used to hanging around people who weren't capable of tearing the head off a monster before breakfast. And he wasn't either, realistically. With no aura and no physical training, he was as much a child as they were. But that didn't mean he would sit back either, not with everything he'd been through. What's the problem here? He called, walking between two of the teens that he could clearly see inside the ring. Amber stuck close to his side, hiding her face against his hip. But it wasn't her who caught his eye. 
as saliva got trapped in his throat. He was practicized. He'd had decades of pretending he didn't know his friends when he first met them, so there was no real temptation or risk to shout out their names and give anything away. But it was a shock nonetheless. What were they doing here at Ansel? Bright orange hair. It was different from how he'd always known it, with a cute bow he knows should remove in time. But even then, there was no mistake in that wild smile and bright eyes filled with cheer and confidence. Even if she was being insulted and surrounded. Even at the worst of times, when everything was doomed, she'd always had a smile for them. Hell. Nora could probably massacre these kids alone. She was bound to have some training, even at this age. And of course, where there was one, so were there two. Lai Ren, standing calmly in the center of the ring, with not a care in the world, as though assault by six teenage boys was his usual mid-walk routine. He was so small though, like, wow. Someone was about to have a growth spurt, because right now he couldn't be more than five foot tall. Who asked you, nerd? A round of laughter. It was almost enough to make him sigh. Good lord. Now he was being hazed? By children? When you stand in the middle of the street shouting random words, you shouldn't be surprised when people hear it. Is there any reason you're harassing these two? The leader, or rather, who Jean assumed was the leader, paused. It apparently took him a moment or two to even comprehend what Jean was saying. Like it's any of your business, that guy. He pointed at Ren, who raised one bro in response. Has pink hair. Jean looked back, indeed. Ren still did have his single lock of pink hair. It suddenly struck him that he'd never really asked about it. It couldn't be natural. Though given Neapolitan's hairstyle, who even knew? But if it was dyed, then Jean never saw him apply it. He does. Jean agreed, wondering what the point of all of it was. He's a guy, the bully said, with pink hair. And? You have to explain this to me. I'm still not getting it. It was just hair. Some people cared a lot, some people didn't, and then there was Yang, but even so. What was the guy on about? That means he's gay. Gay, gaybo. The other boys all chanted while laughing. Amber pushed her face deeper into his stomach as the crowd closed in. Jean, for his part, could only tilt his head, honestly lost. That's it. He looked back at Ren, who... Noticing his new companion's gaze could only shrug. That's what this is all about? Pink hair? What are you? Twelve? And a half? The boy felt the need to add, right as Jean's hand slapped into his face. He could feel the migraine building. Right. Yeah. They were twelve. Weren't they? Which meant it came with all the horror that schoolyard prejudice was. Goodness. Had he actually been frightened by this kind of stuff? Cardon would roll over and die if he saw this. Amber, however, was frightened. Which was enough to bring his mind back to the task. Even if they were two years younger than him physically, there were still six of them. And though Jean couldn't remember what his own reputation was like in Ansel, he was fairly sure Wimp would be a safe bet. But Wimp or not, and it was a resounding not in this case, he wasn't going to allow two of his best friends, P. 
people who had stuck with him thick and thin, whether they knew it or not, to suffer, not when he could do something about it. There's no point in any of this, he said, speaking only to the one who was in command. Why don't you just head back into the arcade? That's got to be more fun than causing problems for visitors, right? Perfect logic. Something even they couldn't disagree. You telling me what to do? Ugh! The boy bristled, fanning a little wilder around them to cut off any escape. Jean rubbed the fingers of one hand between his eyes. Was it honestly going to come to this? A schoolyard scrap of a bunch of snot-nosed kids? He'd forgotten that logic didn't work when it came to the schoolyard. You don't need to do this. A familiar male voice whispered from behind him. We'll be fine. Look after my sister, will you? He unhooked Hamba's hands from his jacket, pushing her towards Ren and Nora. She didn't look like she appreciated the jester, but as Nora's arms wrapped around the little girl, he knew she'd be safe. He turned back to the idiot stood before him. I am, actually. I'm telling you to leave these people alone. Go off and enjoy your day like, a d like normal people. And if we don't? The twelve and a half year old squared his feet, puffing his chest like some kind of fat bird displaying its crest. Jean was even less impressed than he had been earlier. You'll have to see. They couldn't be reasoned with, because there was more at stake than their own safety. Something only of value to idiots and children. Street cred. Jean realized the booty couldn't back down. Not and keep the support of his followers. How pathetic. Behind you! Amber yelled, voice high-pitched and frightened. Jean simply closed his eyes with a sigh, however. He already heard it. A short step to the left. Lazy, almost. As a fist passed through the space, his head had occupied a good two seconds earlier. A long time in a fight, but this was hardly a fight at all. The boy had thrown it, didn't even seem to have been ready for such a possibility, and tripped over his own feet. He fell to the pavement with a bang, hitting his knee on the floor before he immediately started crying. I didn't do anything, Jean said automatically, half expecting an angry Galinda Goodwitch to come flying out of a nearby building to punish him. The remaining boys stiffened, suddenly aware of the consequences of their actions now that one of them was down. Down with a scraped knee. I feel embarrassed to be even winning this. The leader moved, swinging one arm in a wide circle. There didn't seem to be any reason for it. A punch was always better when delivered in a straight line, but he didn't expect them to really know that. Ducking beneath it, he stepped up into the boy's guard, though he didn't actually strike. He didn't need to. As the bully collided into him, bouncing back off his body and falling to the ground. There were some advantages to being a gangly six-foot teen. What the hell's going on here? A new voice shouted. Interrupting the fight before anyone else could injure themselves on him, Jean looked towards the new figure in relief, letting out a short sigh when he saw it was an older teen, probably 16 or 17. At least they'll be able to break up the fight and scare off the others. He hit me, the bully on the floor shouted. He already hit Todd, then he had to go at me. Did you hit my brother? Or not? Seriously? Where was his luck recently? Alright. He was trapped in his past life, dying under a flaming piece of wreckage. Luck was not something Jean Hark had ever truly experienced. Your brother was bullying these newcomers, Jean tried to explain, regardless of the fact he was sure it wouldn't work. 
the older team was already cracking the fingers of one hand, causing superficial cartilage damage in an attempt to intimidate him. I stepped in to protect them, and no, I didn't hit them. He ran into me and fell over. Stay still, kid, the taller teen growled. I'll make this quick. For the love of... <sighs> he was faster than the younger one, with better form too. Nothing compared to the people Jean had known in his lives. It was more a stance forged from numerous brawls and pointless fights with people of equally low skill. It was enough, however, that he wouldn't fall over or hurt himself when he was throwing punches around. Which meant that despite not wanting to, he'd actually have to get involved in this one. How irritating. The first blow sailed over his left shoulder, the force of it blowing a few strands of blonde hair aside. The second came as a kick. Clumsily and awkward, it struck Jean's raised arm without doing any real damage. But it wasn't until the next punch that Jean noticed a very real problem. The guy was wearing a ring. On the hand was making most of the attacks with. Nothing special and hardly expensive. But solid enough that if it hit, there would be some real damage. And judging from the smirk on the teen's face, he more than knew. Jean! Catch! His sister shouted as something sailed through the air behind him. He only briefly glimpsed it over his left shoulder, the familiar sight enough to spark his instincts one hand snapping out as he fell into a familiar stance, only to be interrupted by raucous laughter. Fuck. The older teen nearly sobbed, bending over with one hand on his knee. <laughs> That's too good. Oh, you crack me up. Jean's eyes closed, a breath escaping through his nostrils. Damn and Amber. When he opened them, the sight before him persisted still. An inflatable yellow sword, the handle of which was plastic, flopping wildly before him. She must have stolen it from Nora, who would be the only one who could ever find something like this funny. And here he was, legs bent, left shoulder presented forward as he wielded the floppy weapon in a two-handed grip. Well, in for a penny. I figure since you're using a weapon, Jean said, pointing the balloon-like material towards the teen's hand, that I should have one too. Don't worry. To make it fair, mine is made of plastic. You need all the help you can get after all. Fuck you, his opponent eloquently said, leaping forward to throw another fist at Jean's face. He'd have liked to deflect it, were the weapon rich enough for that, but the fact that it wasn't firm didn't make it any less of a weapon. Squeak! The plastic slammed into the teen's face, creating a satisfying slapping sound as his face whipped to the side. Even embarrassing as it sounded, a few boys around them winced, as the older one stroked his red cheek with one hand. It might not cut, but Balloon Amores sure did sting, and of how easily he dodged the attack and those before it. His opponent was starting to realize what kind of situation he was in. Dodging once might be called luck, twice a coincidence, but three or more times in a row. Even an idiot could see the pattern. Screw this, the boy pushed his fringe back with one hand, faking a smile. If this kid wants to play with his toys, then let him. We don't have time for this loser. Y yeah, the bullier from earlier agreed, climbing to his feet and moving to his fellow brother. See you later, loser. Jean could only watch them go, fighting back the yawn that struggled to escape. Give him Cinderfor any day. 
This was exhausting. Your hunter trained. Were the first real words Ren spoke to him. As the two males stood against the wall, watching the girls play on some kind of dancing game, Amber had been ecstatic after the fight, though, still a little shaken, Nora, bless her, had noticed immediately and convinced the girl to let her help win a prize on the machines. She'd always been like that, noticing the mood and doing what she could to improve it. It was what you could always rely on Nora for. That and pancakes. A little. Jean replied, taking a subtle pleasure in being with his old friend once more. Where some might struggle to understand the quiet boy, Jean had decades practice reading between the lines. He'd also perfected the art of making friends with the two over time, just to make the transition easier. More than they had, anyway. Not many people would stand up for strangers like that. Thanks. Jean, my mother, always said strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. He rattled off the familiar line, as he always did. Back then it had been something he used to ward off the embarrassment of having to speak to new people. Nowadays, it was his own personal joke, a snippet of honesty for the friends that had the chance to meet him yet. Besides, if I'm going to be a huntsman, I can't let stuff like that happen and not step in. You're going to be a hunter? Ren's eyes looked him up and down, the results of his analysis unspoken. Nora and I are also aiming for that. Perhaps we'll see each other again, then. Jean hid his smile, offering a fresh can of fruit juice to the boy, Ren's favourite. It would be useful indeed to lay this groundwork ahead of time. It wouldn't change much, but it would save time, his most precious resource. I'm hoping for Beacon myself. It's one of the best combat schools already. Then perhaps we'll see each other again. We're planning on the same route. For now, we're just travelling expanding our horizons because they didn't have anywhere to live or a family to live with. He knew the real reason. Not that he would say them out loud. Neither of them felt bad about their situation, or wanted any pity at all. It was one of the many things he admired about them. It would be nice to have someone I've already met there, he said instead, dodging the elephant in the room as they went back to watching the two companions. Nora was energetic as ever, much more than the machine could ever hope to match, and as the game came to an end, he wasn't surprised to see tickets for a victory pouring forth. Jean! Jean! Amber crowd, running up to him with a trail of tickets behind her. Nora did it. She was so cool. Cooler than me? He joked as he took the tickets, counting and adding them to the pile. So much cooler. She didn't even hesitate. And if he'd been in possession of Aura, he could imagine it being knocked into the yellow instantly. This girl. Holy crap. My battered ego aside, the bonjour, showing an indulgent look with Ren, the black-haired boy nodding back in understanding. I think we've maybe got enough for that top prize. Amber's bright blue eyes went wide, her whole body shaking in excitement. But, well, I did all the work myself, and I'm thinking maybe that plastic sword looks cool. Her face fell, skin going ashen, as she turned to look where he was pointing. To see the gaudy and disgusting looking thing covered in bright tin foil, it sat beside the main prize she truly wanted. A stuffed unicorn as big as her. Her gaze flickered between the two before coming back to him. He tried to maintain his pose, one hand below his chin as he hummed loudly. Above her head he could see Nora giggling. You... Amber paused, looking honestly pained. You're the coolest, bestest brother in the whole of Remnant. That's nice of you to say. Hmm. 
maybe could hang it on my wall. The bestest. Even better than Dad. Even better than X-Ray and Vav. And I love you so much. She hopped on one foot, hands clasped together as though praying to some higher power. He couldn't hold her then, handing over the tickets with a laugh. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A sloppy kiss placed directly on his cheek as she hung from his neck before she ran off faster than even Ruby could have. Aww. code once she'd gone. Renny, when I have kids, you need to be like that. When you have kids, I'm going to run away and hide. The boy replied. Especially after anything like you. Nope. Nora grinned, wrapping an arm around his shoulder and dragging the expert boy into her developing breast. I won't let you. John here is going to be coming to Beacon as well. Ren saw an opportunity to escape the girl's grasp and promptly threw Jean beneath the tires. That's great! Nora laughed. We should totally be on a team together. Can you make a sound like a giraffe? Don't ask, Ren mouthed when Jean looked at him. No, the blonde admitted, watching her face fall. But I can do a decent sloth impression. Hmm. Sloths are pretty cool too. Now that I think about it, the girl went off into her own mind, no doubt considering the merits of sloths against giraffes. He had a feeling sloths would win. Jean! Amber sang as she ran up to them, almost stumbling over the huge unicorn. Look, it's so cute. Almost as cute as you. He picked the girl up, giving her a peck on the cheek. Amber's face went red as she buried her face in his neck, though he did notice her arms wrap around him. Nora, oh, loudly, rocking back and forth as she watched them. The moment was broken when his scroll went off, the alarm he'd set earlier signaling the end of their time. Damn it. He genuinely enjoyed seeing them again. He'd have liked to invite them back to their house, to spend more time with them while also making sure they had somewhere to sleep. But with him leaving at the soonest opportunity? That wouldn't be fair. They would be caught up in all the drama his departure would cause. His departure. He hadn't thought about it. So wrapped up in winning something for Amber. No. He was lying to himself. So wrapped up in having fun. Genuine, honest-to-goodness fun. It had felt good to let loose. Maybe we'll see each other again at Beacon. Nora said once they were ready to depart. Ren nodded over her shoulder, imparting the same message as Jean placed Amber down, letting her secure the unicorn with both arms. You can count on it. I'll see you there. An amusing thought came to his mind before they left, and as they turned away, he fired one last comment back to Ren. Make sure to find out what a snoise a sloth makes. You'll need it. What sound does a sloth make? Amber asked, once it was just the two of them walking home. He pretended to think about it for a moment, looking up towards the clear blue sky. He reached out to tweak her nose, watching the girl jump back in shock. Boop! I'm going to go show this to the others. Amber could barely contain herself by the time they reached the Ark House. Even as they approached, her mood had only seemed to increase, the girl giggling and hopping about in excitement. Jean pretended to put the remaining line back in the drawer, slipping it into one pocket instead. Amber didn't notice, too busy tugging her toy towards the main corridor. Stay here, okay? Sure, sure. He laughed, waiting until the girl was through the door before turning to what was truly on his mind. The moment he'd entered the kitchen, its presence had struck him, a heavy weight settling on his shoulders. Crocomores hung, 
gleaming slightly in the afternoon light. It was just half a day, he argued, shaking his head. I'll get going soon. Don't worry. What's to stop me leaving now? The thought froze him. His parents were nowhere to be seen. His task for the day complete. There was no way Amber would blame herself for what happened here. Not after the time they'd spend together. And even if she did, what did it matter? He would push himself onward and either succeed, or gain a few more weeks the next time if it were the former. He could come back and apologize. No, he could fix things. Words were cheap. He would come back and prove that he loved her. And if it were the latter, yet another death, then what did it matter? All this would cease to exist. It wouldn't matter. Did I waste my time today? On something that doesn't even mean anything? All the games. The tickets and tokens. Would his friends look at him with anger for that? No. He knew the answer as soon as he fought it. There wasn't one of them that would begrudge him the time spent with his family. They would all support it. They could support it. But he couldn't. He was on the job. He had a duty to fulfill, people to save, others to stop, to kill. It's time. Jean reached out for the weapon as he spoke those words. He could feel her long before he touched the glass case. Her presence had always been there. Leather grip, warm in his hand. Fingers touched the glass, breath escaping him in a rapid burst. Was his hand shaking, or was it his eyesight that was blurring? Son. His arm snapped back, body going stiff as he turned to look at who had spoken. Nicholas stood in the doorway, face unreadable. What are you doing? Nothing. The answer was automatic, and he cursed himself for it. Sorry. I saw something on the glass. Thought it was a tuft of hair or something. Probably mine. <laughs> the taller man chuckled, rubbing a hand through his rough, shoulder-length hair. Don't worry about it. Why don't you come through to the living room? I think your mother wants to speak to you. Damn it. So close. Sure. I'm coming. It didn't matter. He'd already wasted away a day and a half. What were a few more hours? Once they were in bed, when the house was dark and asleep, then he would make his move. That would be easier anyway. Less chance of anyone else noticing what was going on. He followed his father through the dimmed corridors, wondering idly at the lack of light or even the lack of people. There were eight others in the house, with his sister and mother. It didn't seem feasible that there wouldn't be someone running around or causing a ruckus. Through here, Nicholas said, pushing Jean into the doorway, before a bright light shone into his eyes. What on ramp? Happy birthday! Dull explosion, as confetti fired into his face, followed quickly by the loud blaring of some kind of horn-based instrument, he barely had the time to blink the streams out of his eyes before someone crashed into him. Happy birthday, brother, Amber cried, hugging his waist. A hand settled on his shoulder from behind, Nicholas leaning forward to rough up his hair. Happy birthday, kiddo. Gods, you're growing up fast. His mother waved at him too, a smile filled with pride and love. Even as the other girls waved streamers or blew horns, the entire room was fastened with decorations, balloons, banners. He could even see some party lights blinking around the edges of the ceiling. What? He tried to find the words. His birthday? 
he hadn't even known. He... Hell. He couldn't even remember when that was. Every time he just ran away. Training. And training until the important date. The only date he did remember. The date of Beacon's initiation. Birthdays were something others celebrated. Rubies. Yang's. Pira's. But whenever they asked for his, he dodged the question. You look surprised, bro. Jade laughed. Putting down her horn, Amber had to distract you all day so we could set this up. You better appreciate it. Jade. Cora rebuked, slapping the younger girl on the arm. She means happy birthday. She loves you. She's just too shy to admit it. Do not. Jade bristled through the blush on her face told a different story. Juniper laughed, walking up to give him a great hug and trapping Amber between them. Happy birthday, sweetie, she whispered, placing a kiss on his forehead. You were doing this all day? They all seemed amused by his words, not one of them understanding the true reason for his panic. All day, they'd be preparing for this moment, putting in all this effort for him, because they loved him. And he had been planning to run away. If I had left Amber at the arcade, if I had stolen Kuroka Morrison run not two minutes ago, he knew the answer. Even as she ushered him into a big seat and pushed some presents before him. If Jean-Arc had left as he intended to, then they would have been alone. Their family would have sat in this very room, surrounded by the decorations for the, his birthday, only to face the slow realization that he had run away from home. What would they think? That he hated them? That he didn't care about any of them? That on his birthday, of all days, he had finally had enough of each of them? That fought it harder than he expected. Aren't you going to open it? His mother said, drawing his attention to the large parcel in his lap. Covered in shiny red paper, it adds a solid weight to it, not to mention its unusual shape. That one's from your father and I. His hand shook as he peeled back the paper, the unusual sound of foil and plastic crackling beneath his fingers. Ever so slowly it came back, revealing a black case of studded leather, with a metallic clip on its side. He couldn't remember it, yet he could, if that made any sense. Something about it felt familiar, but without opening it he couldn't tell what. The top half gave away, clicking open as soft red velvet and furnished wood appeared before him. Azura's eyes widened as he took it in, fingers tracing across the soft surface. His guitar. He'd forgotten all about it. In fact, the last time he'd ever touched it, it must have been... No... Could it be? The last time he touched it, it was during his first life. The original life. Back before this all began. He'd played it for Weiss, hadn't he? Maybe that was too strong a term on second thought, more like he played it to the hardwood surface of her door. The memory was almost enough to bring a chuckle from him, but the air got trapped halfway, coming out as a cough. Is it? Nicholas' voice sounded strained, worried. If it's not okay, I can. I love it. He didn't even look at either of them. At least they saw the moisture in his eyes. His first life. It was nothing more than blurred memories and instinctual feelings. But it shouldn't be. It should have been something he held onto, 
cherished? Where had it gone? It's amazing. I really love it. But he couldn't play it. Not anymore. Of all the scores he picked up in the decades, all the random things he tried to learn to give him the edge he needed, music had never been one of them. Because what could it achieve, realistically? Entertainment and fun? There were nice words, but they didn't stop Cinder. They didn't defend against Grimm. That one guy's semblance aside, his skills at the guitar had been something he'd allowed to die out. A necessary sacrifice. He would have to relearn. No. No, he couldn't. It had taken the best part of 20 or 30 years to reach this point, and even then it was only possible because of the training he did before Beacon. If he had survived 25 months into Beacon, it was only because he had 24 to train. If he had wasted time on learning the guitar, even if it was just for a few hours a night, then that might mean he lost time. He couldn't lose time. My next. Sable appeared before him, pushing a smaller package into his hands. Me, Hazel, and Sapphire saved up for this together, so it's from all three of us. He nodded, still uncertain on what to say as he looked at it. It looks like it had come from three people too, and that each one of them had felt the need to somehow be involved in the wrapping at the same time. It was a complete mess of bows, stickers, and ribbon. So much effort. It's the latest scroll. Sapphire explained once he carefully discarded the paper. She listed some more details, pointing at various parts of the device and explaining why they were important for a boy his age. It was actually the same scroll he'd always had. He must have forgotten. That it came from his sisters. He hadn't made it this far back before now. I'll treasure it. He promised. This time an honest one that he could keep. It would serve him on his travels and beyond. Again his eyes stung, one arm coming to wipe the back of his sleeve across them. No one seemed to mind though, and no one commented on it. Other presents came thick and fast. Clothing, food, sweets, and board games. He opened each with care and made sure to thank whoever gave it as much as he could. Once those were gone, the party descended into music and drinks. There was even a cake. Somehow it exhausted him. All the emotion being thrown around. All the love. It was just too much for his already strained mind to comprehend. Instead of playing with them, he found himself slumped in the seat he had been pushed into, fighting back a yawn as some of the younger sisters argued about a ruling in one of the newly opened board games. You're still tired? Juniper asked as she sat beside him, resting on the armrest of a slice of cake in hand. In contrast to her usual natural, she didn't use a plate. Instead, balancing the piece of chocolate between her finger and thumb as she took a bite. There was icing smeared across her lips, but she just winked at him. Just a little. He admitted, fighting back yet another yawn. His eyes felt heavy, as did his limbs, but it would be rude of him to fall asleep when they put so much effort in. He also didn't want to close his eyes, because it would be the last time he ever saw them. He wanted to savor it. You can sleep if you want to, she whispered, leaning down to wrap her arms around him. He felt her chin against his head, you can sleep if you want. The combined effort of her warmth and the fingers running through his hair made it harder to stop his eyes drifting shut. Happy birthday, sweetie. She whispered. I love you. Love you too, Mum. It was dark when he next woke. 
Somehow it felt as though he should be too. The dark matched his mood perfectly, looking down at the couch he'd fallen asleep on, not to mention the thick blanket someone had strewn across him. Cakes and a scud of wrapping littered the floor, along with cards and pieces of utensils. It accused him, a cruel reminder of what he had to do, of what they would awake to. But it couldn't be helped. He had to do this. If he didn't, if he spent more time here, then he would never leave. There would never be a good time to run away from his family. Whenever he left, it would hurt them. And since they didn't agree with him attending Beacon, it would have to happen eventually. Better do it now. Tear off the bandage quick. I'll come back one day, he said as he lifted Karokamors from its case. It had only been two days without it by his side, but somehow it felt incredibly heavy in his hand. I promise I'll come back one day. Another empty promise for the list. The kitchen drawer opened sluggishly, or perhaps it was he who did it so. The line he took burned a hole in his hand. He already had the supplies ready by the door, just another act of theft to take one of Nicholas's camping sets. It would be clear what had happened when they woke up. They'd know he'd left them, that they just wouldn't know why. Or maybe they would. But they would never understand why. It's not my fault, he argued. I do love them, but this is bigger than me. Bigger than us. What happens at Beacon will spread across all the Vale in time. He couldn't just give it all up. Not after he'd spent so long getting to this point. Foreknowledge meant nothing without the training he needed. Much like how skill meant nothing without the strength to use it. He needed the training time if he wanted to have a hope of ever making it past the vital festival. Let alone what came after. It was his duty. His burden. Couldn't you spend just a little more time here? For them? The small voice in his mind accused. Everything he did... Everything he'd always done, it had been for his friends, for Vale, for people he didn't know. If he just spent a little more time here, would it be that disastrous? He'd lose time, for sure, but a week might only mean he lost a month or so on his timeline. It would push him back, but not massively. It might take a repeat or two to get back to this point, but it would happen. And more importantly, he would have done something for his family. Kuroka Moore's weighed down on his arm, an ever-present reminder. One week. It wouldn't even change anything, would it? He still have to leave in the end, and come that time he'd no doubt feel the same hesitation as he did now. If that continued on, then he'd be weak. Too weak to even get to Beacon legitimately. He couldn't even remember where he got his fake records from, so he wouldn't be accepted into Beacon. Which meant... Which meant... If he didn't enter Beacon, then he wouldn't become part of Team Juniper, which meant he wouldn't be present when they were attacked at Amidi. Cinder would win. She would take the Four Maidens' powers. Pyrrha would die. But then... Wouldn't she die anyway? Even if Jean was there? Even if he went back and gained an extra month from the training he did now, it would still mean all his friends would die. But if he wasn't there, if Jean-Arc was safe back home when this all happened... How long would he survive? Kurokamos clattered as he laid it on the kitchen table, taking a seat across from it, almost as though he was holding a meeting with the sword itself. He didn't need to physically be at Beacon when he died, for the repeats to happen. Those times where he died in prison or the asylums were proof enough of that. Hell, 
when he died under Cinder's employee, he hadn't even technically been a student. So if he died at home, it wouldn't make a difference. He would still come back, and it would still be however long he survived after the beacon initiation. Except that by avoiding the fight altogether, he would only die when the effects of Cinder's actions spread to Ansel. No. By that point, he would be 18. If he wished, he could flee or evacuate when the Grim came. Hell, with what he knew, he could go hide in Verko. Cinder's plans focused on Vale and Mistral. With Atlas getting involved thanks to the SDC, who gave shit about Vaco, it was all sand. If the war didn't reach him for three or four years, then that meant he'd have that same amount of time to prepare. It could double how much time he had now. But what if it took five, six, even more? His entire body shook, heart beating rapidly in his chest. Could it work? Could it seriously work? Of all the things he tried in his repeats, everything he could possibly think of, had he ever considered doing nothing? There was no reason. It couldn't work. Time and time again it had been proven that he went back however long he survived after the start of initiation. In those runs where he'd spoken to Ozpin or Ironwood, he'd never actually been present for it. Yet he still came back. This... This could actually work. As insane as it sounds, he could spend time with his family, hold two years to become part of it once more, and then, when Beacon came, he would ignore the call. He wasn't expected to attend. No one ever wanted him. No one would miss him. It would be abandoning his friends. There was no way around that, but did it count as abandoning when it was done with the express purpose of helping them? A tactical retreat. Biding his time gathering his forces. It might even let him see the latest stages of their plan. Ones I haven't seen yet, because I haven't reached them. His fingers pried loose, cracking as he let go of the leather hilt. With a deep breath he stood, lifting it up by the blade and cross guard instead, before placing it back within the case, glass sliding shut with a soft click. Not this time, Karakamos, he whispered, stepping back and turning away, back to the couch, those warm sheets and a family that loved him. And as the lights flickered off and the door clicked shut, his shoulders have never felt lighter.